I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Taylor Welch. And Taylor is a funnel copywriter who specializes in building big-ticket marketing systems for his clients. He cut his teeth in the brick-and-mortar business, marketing one of the largest real estate investment companies in America. Later, he ventured into the online world and now has become known as the Infusionsoft copywriter for his ability to combine powerful marketing funnel copy with effective marketing automation to help business owners earn more while working less. Now, Taylor is what you call a new kid on the block, but just this year, he's been responsible for generating over a million dollars in sales for his clients, and literally starting from zero, he's about to clear his first six figures in fees and royalties, all in his first year as an entrepreneur. That can only mean he's obviously doing uh, things many other people take a long, long time to figure out. So I've asked him to join us today to share his story, along with some of his insights and what has made him successful, as well as what makes his approach work so well for his clients. So Taylor, thank you for your time, buddy. Um, I know we've had some issues with setting this up more than any ever before. Um, so uh, just thank you for your time, for your patience, and how you doing, my friend? Oh, man, I'm doing excellent, and it's a pleasure to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's been good. So now, how? what were you? What was the name of the real estate uh, investment company, and what were you doing for them? Like, it, Did you go to school for marketing? How did you even get started into this? Yeah, no, so the company was, is uh, Memphis Invest. And uh, I totally stumbled into it on accident. So I got brought on to actually help with um, with the uh, project management and the the rental side of the company, and helped putting together the uh, you know the systems. And really, I ended up building the the company's uh, project management system for pretty much every department. Wow! Uh, but I kind of started using. I stumbled into marketing because my wife is an entrepreneur. She's a hairstylist here in Memphis, and we wanted to grow her business, right? So I picked up a couple books on copywriting, wrote our, uh, her first direct mail uh, letter, sent it out. Her business started growing, and then um, you know, at the same time at the company, I started getting into email marketing for you know, converting the leads from the company into new investors. So it kind of all happened on accident at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just downhill from there, man, down the rabbit hole I went and here I am. That's awesome. What was the direct mail campaign that you guys, that you did for your wife? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, we, uh, so we even do, we still do it to this day. I have a pile of letters sitting here in my office actually that I have to send out. But, uh, basically we take a list of new movers, people who have moved to Memphis in the last, you know, 30, 60 days. And I just wrote up letters that say, Hey, uh, welcome to Memphis. I'd love to give you a free haircut. I know moving can be stressful, and here's why I'm doing this. Blah 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 blah. And uh, we send them out. You know, one letter one week, another letter to the people who don't call and schedule an appointment the next week, and then a third letter the week after that. And then if they don't schedule after the third week, they just get on a monthly 
you know, kind of seasonal direct mail letter. So we just sent one out actually, cause it's here in the United States, it's about to turn fall. Uh-huh. Um, so we're sending out letters saying, Hey, is your hair still in style? Fall season's coming. Um, why don't you come in, get a free, uh, you know, style assessment, just weird stuff like that. Yeah, but that's awesome. And what I love about it though, is because you're offering something for free. Um, but isn't that kind of scary having to drop them? Because I get, I mean, I get that all the time, even, even now, like, to be honest, I've got some clients, they've got million dollar businesses and we talk like, I talk about doing direct mail campaigns. One guy, we did a thank you campaign for all of his clients that spent like more than a thousand bucks. And, you know, and he was kind of, he was really nervous about the money he spent on it, even though I'm like, I, I promise you there's only like, it's only going to be good, but there's still that nervousness. You guys didn't have any, any hesitation with that. You like, how did you already feel comfortable doing that? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, Oh dude, no, there was unbelievable amount of nervousness. So I'm making it sound really cool. And like, dude, <laughs> we just did it and we're just born entrepreneurs. But now we, uh, we bought Infusionsoft for a business and it was, you know, Infusionsoft, it's like $2,000 to get the, the starter kit. It's like 200 bucks a month, paid the money for the direct mail. I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know if it would work. It was like a hundred dollars and a free haircut. Dude, we had no idea if it was going to work. So, um, we were, it was a total, like, let's just see if this works. Um, and I don't think we got Infusionsoft after we sent the first series of letters out. So originally the investment was just a hundred bucks. Um, and, and then the cost the of the haircut. And everything? That's yeah. the cost of the names and to mail it. Uh, well, the mailing is about, I mean, that the names were hundred bucks and then with stamps and everything else, you know, it's probably about another hundred, 150. Right. So, um, but it's stamps still, and everything. so it's not a huge investment, but it's still right. Like when you're, when you're brand new and you know, and you're launching to go drop 400 bucks on something you're just hoping will work. It's scary, right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely like, it wasn't something that was, that was comfortable. Even when, uh, even when we got Infusionsoft is like, dude, we just put it on our credit card. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to work. I know this is going to work. And if not, we can just pay it off eventually. Um, <laughs> but dude, I wanted to be an entrepreneur so bad. I'm not one of those guys that grew up like an entrepreneur. Like I wasn't selling lemonade when I was five years old. Right. right. Like hear those stories. And I was like mad respect for those guys. And I love that, but I'm totally wasn't that guy. I wanted to work for people. I wanted to be a music person. I did recording. So I got to a place where it was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to quit my job. The best way to do that is to grow my wife's business and because uh, that will kind of fund us. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, let's put this on the credit card. I'm ready to go. And it worked. You know, That's awesome. That's super awesome. No, I love it. And the other thing that I don't know if you know, if you're aware of or other people are aware of, but that could be the beginning of a franchise model. A lot of people – and I'm bringing this up because I know in your bio we talked about how you're dealing with the local brick and mortar. And sometimes I hear like from our listeners and stuff, they like, oh, I listen to calls. It's great. But, you know, I'm a local business and so, you know, I don't sell online or, you know, I'm not a national business and stuff like that. You know, they think it doesn't apply to them. But I really want to take a second here to point this out because what most fran- – like they say 80 to 90% of small businesses fail, but 80% of franchises succeed. And it's because when someone gets into a franchise, all the systems are there for them. And most importantly, that means the marketing systems. So right. my understanding, most franchises, really, when you buy into a franchise, you're buying an operations manual for how to operate like a location. And then the franchise headquarters is actually a marketing headquarters, and they do tests exactly like you brought up with your direct mail. And if it works, then they roll it out to all their franchisees, all the locations, and they just peel and stick the phone number and the address. 
That's the only real difference. And so they took different markets to test the marketing in. And when they have something that works, they roll it out across the network. And then all together, all these locations all pitch in together for the marketing budget, which allows the headquarters, right, gives them funds to test and experiment with, and then to roll money to roll out when they have something that works so they can scale big fast. So I just want to bring that up because I don't know if that's, I mean, you've, it's not might not be where your focus is now, but just having been like, yeah, we've got the system and we do it all the time. I mean, that is the foundation of, you know, your wife eventually having her own chain of hair salons at some right. point. And it'd be with these, right, these these template marketing systems that you guys just develop one at a time, one at a time. And once you've got five, 12 of these things, now all of a sudden – your business is going to be so big, you could actually start expanding and just getting a percent of whatever, you know, all your other locations make. And so, yeah. so anyways, for, for what it's totally, worth, man. I just wanted to bring it's that a up. turnkey turnkey system. Well, and that's, yeah. Cause the marketing is the hardest thing, right? You can't, you can, you can delegate everything, but the marketing and the money management. So, um, so, I mean, just what you've done yourself is very incredible. So, I mean, hats off to you. I mean, six figures, your first year as an entrepreneur, that's very commendable. And being able to write copy that's converting as well. Um, do you follow any particular copywriter specifically or who's been kind of your biggest inspiration? Um, yeah, I follow all of them sort of. So probably in the online space. So like, with marketing funnels, a lot of this is driven by email. Email is kind of the engine, you know, that keeps your funnels moving. Right. So uh, one of my biggest influences is Ben Settle. So, you, you know, bensettle.com, he's a, a fantastic email copywriter. And then Andre Chaperone is kind of another one, a contemporary of, of Ben's. And they're both new guys. So they're not, uh, you know, obviously Caples, yep. uh, Carlton, <laughs> all those guys. It's like those are the, the direct response routes that you want to be familiar with, uh, but there are kind of like there are new strategies that are kind of popping up. Ben Settle and, and Andra, Andre Chaperone are kind of the two new guys who are really owning email, and they're totally different. Now, but what do you mean the new strategies? Because that's, that's an interesting – and I feel like we might be getting to a deeper like principle or strategic-based topic because at the baseline isn't copy-copy. I mean isn't – you know, obviously the subject line is, is almost your headline because if they don't – Right. If it doesn't get them to open the email, the rest of the email doesn't matter. Right. And then the same thing, your lead in and the rest. So how how is it so different than the old school copywriting? Can you maybe speak to that a little? Yeah, I think it's a difference in philosophy. So with uh, if you pick up like um, my life in advertising or, um, you know, scientific advertising, Claude Hopkins, mm-hmm. any of the old stuff. Um, it's very, very scientific, and there's a formulaic approach, and uh, you know, it's it's the the classic: get their attention, get them interested, and make the ironclad guarantee and get them to buy. So here's what's changed, at least from my opinion, and I, and I think for a lot of the audience working with marketing funnels, the goal is is still to get people to buy, but because there's so much advertising in existence today. People are so bombarded. So there are micro goals. There are all these micro commitments and micro goals that have to be built into copywriting today that didn't necessarily have to be, you know, you didn't have to pay as much attention to back in, you know, 1920. So with Andre's stuff and Ben's stuff, email really is a tool that you really are using to generate massive, massive amounts of trust because for people to buy, they have to trust you. You can't just send them a sales letter because in a lot of cases, they know what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I send you a sales letter today and you get it in your mail, 
and I have a math, you know, an awesome headline and the lead is perfect and everything. You, you know what I'm doing and your walls are a little bit up. Um, as opposed to if I'm sending you things that are interesting and entertaining and engaging and, you know, in a sense, like there's almost not anything for sale. Um, then people kind of get their curiosity peaked and like, what's this about? And then over time, as my consistency starts going to work for me, as people start noticing my name, um, then then I can start selling stuff. So people are not people are buying because they have a trust in the brand, they have a trust in the person sending the email. So I would say like the core principles are the same, but the way you have to go about people's sales radars today, mm. it just the process takes longer. Mm. Mm. Got it. So yeah, I want to let's want to dive into this a little bit. So it's it, the buying cycles have expanded a little bit because there's so much noise out there. And also because it's too easy to reach out to your consumers. So yeah. you're saying because email is practically free or because it's so cheap that it's really about building a relationship with them over the long haul, right? Exactly. Whereas in old school direct mail, when it's direct mail, you're putting envelopes in the mail. You're paying to have that message and paying a pretty penny in a lot of instances. Um, you're right. You have to make us, you have to recoup your costs every time you communicate. But now communication is so easy. You're saying we don't really have to, and it's more important that we build the rapport and the relationship. And almost that. What's that quote? Uh, I, I didn't prepare it before in advance, but it's like no one will understand. No one will care. It's like no one will understand how much. Wait, no one will care how much you understand. Wait. Until oh yeah. Do you know no say? one. Yeah, no one cares how much you understand until they understand how much you care or there something like that. Thank you. No, you. I think you got it. So I think that does that kind of a bit more. Does that articulate the approach a bit better? Yeah, the the thing is, is I'm not saying that you shouldn't sell in emails. What I'm saying is that you shouldn't just sell based on the benefits of you know your product. You shouldn't just sell based on uh, you, you, that. Shouldn't be your number one goal mm -hmm. because the sale is a byproduct. So, like for me, um, my my goal right now um, in the next 12 months is to hit a million dollars. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. I'm going to hit a million dollars. To me, my philosophy is set up to where that million dollars is simply a byproduct of me doing the right things. Hmm. All right, it's not the goal in in and of itself. So, the goal is to do the right things. The money is a byproduct. It's the same when you look at your marketing. Like the goal of all marketing is to look at your customers and look at your prospects as like giant. Uh, if you'll excuse the analogy, giant scales that like weigh things and measure things. And on one side is every time they've been beat up and abused, taken advantage of, lied to, cheated, and otherwise manipulated at the hands of scummy marketers, right? Uh -huh. So that side of the scale is very, very heavy. On the other side is the trust that they have that you have their best interests at heart, that your product is what you say it is. It's the strategy of preeminence. So your job as a marketer is simply to take the scales and to tilt the scales to where the trust that they have in you outweighs and overpowers all of the objections on the other side of the scale. So if you look at your marketing and your funnels from this perspective, all of a sudden being all hypey salesy in the very first email suddenly is not a good idea. Right. <laughs> right. Because they're just going to literally scroll to the bottom, unsubscribe, and hate you for the rest of their life. So that's what I'm saying is like it's changed the game today because people are so bombarded with all these sales hype messages. 
that the people that they trust at the end of the day are the people who they're going to give their money to for their product. So in my emails, in everything that I'm writing, I'm selling all the time. Like there's always an opportunity for someone to buy because I never quite know when those scales are going to tip. Right. right? So you and always if, have a soft offer in every email. Every single email. Got it. Every single. I don't ever want a prospect to have the scales tip and then not know what to do to give me money. Uh-huh. Right. That's the worst case scenario. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want them to feel like um, I'm adding to the wrong side of the scales. So there's always a, 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 a push for me to build that rapport with them to show them that, um, you know, they are my number one interest, not their wallet. And then, it, you know, by the time that they are ready to buy, there's always a link there. I like how you brought that up and it, it brings up um, something that I've actually been thinking about and talking about with among some of my friends uh, just because – I mean, what you mentioned about having to build the trust and the rapport and proving that you have their best interests at heart and build that relationship and the trust up until it outweighs any of their skepticism or any of their objections. And I really like that approach and something that's relevant to that. Uh, I mean, we talked a bit about CrossFit before the call because I'm an avid CrossFitter. And, and we were just saying how people in the CrossFit community, a lot of people get accused of as being a cult because people are getting such amazing results. They're, they're, they're evangelists for it. And mm-hmm. CrossFit is having growth and like the success rate of the gyms has just been phenomenal, you know, record-breaking, yada, yada, yada. But there's a specific video, Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, posted called In Pursuit of Excellence that I was – you reminded me of him when you were talking. And in his talk – and I, I'm, I'm going to explain it and I want to know what you think about it. Um, in his talk, he talks about what he's learned from all of his affiliates, all of his all of his box owners, his gym owners, uh, about marketing. And he's saying he knows what marketing is. And he was saying that, you know, that basically in staying in pursuit of excellence, he said anytime someone thinks about, oh, let's go get some money, let's go do some marketing, that that was going off the track. And, you know, I'm as a marketer, when I heard that, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. But then he was talking about how when you stay focused on having the best product and when your focus is on just making what you do for people better and caring for your people better, then what you do for them becomes endearing. They love you for it because you're just you're, – you're, you're really committed to them and their problems and their causes and to imp- – right? And to improving that. And he said, and when you reach that, then what you're, what you're doing is becomes enduring. It lasts. It has sustainability. And then that's where you're saying that that's kind of where a brand comes from. And that's and for him, that's their approach to marketing. There's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. We're more kind of as online marketers and direct response. We want everything to be measurable and that you can't measure buzz and word of mouth. And it's hard to measure brand equity. And there's some people that have built really big businesses that say brand is an afterthought. But I wanted to bring that up to ask, what do you think about that? Like, is that kind of what you're saying, that you should be in pursuit of excellence at what you do and in caring for your clientele and that that is more important than fancy ninja marketing tricks? Or is it a, is it a blend? I'm not trying to ask a leading question, but I, just because of what you said, I wanted to know, are you like, what do you think about kind of what he said about that? Yeah, I love it. Uh, it reminds me of um, – of, uh... Truett, Truett Cathy, the Chick-fil-A guy, the Chick-fil-A founder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you've heard this story, but he was sitting with his board and they were, I believe it was, it was a competitor that they were dealing with at one point that was growing really, really fast. And so Truett Cathy's board is freaking out. And they're like, we have to have more stores. We need to, you know, buy up more properties so that we can keep up with them. And uh, Truett Cathy basically said, no, listen, we have to get better before we get bigger. 
So becoming becoming a better company and offering a better product is a predecessor. It's a precedent for getting bigger. So I totally agree with that. In that, like, yeah, the on, the number one focus should definitely be on, you know, making sure that the the results that you can offer your clients and the product that you can give to your customers is better than anybody anything else that they could do with their time. And that's the that's the bottom line of sales, right? So if I'm selling you something, then I have to believe, or at least I should believe, or I'm or I'm you know a scumbag. I sh- I have to believe that you giving me your money for the product and the results that I'm going to deliver is the best thing that you could do right now. Uh-huh. It's the best thing for my customer. It's the best thing for my clients. And if you don't have a good product and if you're not focusing, you know, on excellence, like, like, like you're saying, then you can't, you can't really sell from a position of integrity. Uh-huh. So I, I do study a lot of Jay Abraham. He is one of my favorite marketers because of his strategy of preeminence and just his, it's really an obsession with becoming the best at what you do Uh and if you can't do that then yeah you should get out of the game like you should just go ahead and get a job for someone you know you can come work for me um but but like if you can do that then i think it's two sides of the same coin so dan kennedy is famous for saying like you know a dentist is is not uh his main profession is not dentistry it's marketing and making sure people know that he's a dentist you know for my wife her main job is not being a hairstylist. It's making sure people know that she's a hairstylist. So marketing is like foundational. Getting new customers, you have to do that, or it doesn't matter how good you are, what you do. But I think that they're two sides of the same coin. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I and I'm still kind of like I'm trying to figure out the because I'm all I'm I really am all about truth and getting to like the ultimate like the ultimate truth the one truth cuz I'm just I don't know if it's cuz I'm lazy or whatever but I just feel like when I find the truth it just simplifies everything right so you yeah. kind of don't have to do the guesswork and I'm just kind of at uh, at odds with that one of the books uh one of our guests uh Max Carey recommended he's re- responsible for over a billion that's a B billion dollars worth of sales for his clients he's got a he has his own index on the Nasdaq guy is insanely successful and one of the books he recommended was the the discipline of market leaders and it was a book where they looked at all the industry leaders and they figured and this is something that a, a mentor of mine told me a while ago um, <clears throat> but they said that basically people either to, to, to win in your industry either you lead with having the best product or like Walmart, you have the best operations, so you can offer the lowest prices and have the thinnest margins, which may not mean you have the best product, but you, you've got the best like the best system as a whole, or the marketing. So this is the book pro- uh, proposed that either you have the best product, the best oper- like the best business operation systems, um, or you've got the best marketing, and the marketing being that you can kind of boutique things that your your clients feel like this was made for me, and it really speaks to their wants and needs. But here, just like what Glassman said, and even what you agree with, we're like, no, it's all about the product. And so that's where, and that's where for me, and I'm not sure if we're going to get to a conclusive thing, but just for the sake of of putting it out there and giving people something to think about, because another incident experience that I, I, I draw from is when I was early in my career, I was in a master my meeting in New Jersey just across from Manhattan and um there was one guy he was uh he was a couple he was um a therapist a couple therapist and he was certain 
that his the best thing for him to do in his business was to go and get another t- level of certification. He thought if he became more kind of like ordained and certified, it would give him an advantage over all of his competitors. And this is going to speak to what you just said, because the guru, our guru at the time, our mentor, asked him and said, in a 15-block radius of where we are, how many couples do you think there are that could use your help and benefit from what you know already? And he said, oh, easily, you know, 300, 500, you know, or more, maybe even 1,000. And then the guru was like, and how many people do you need for an active practice? And he said, really? I would probably be capped out at like maybe 200, 250 patients, depending on how frequently they came in. You know, like I would be at my max. And so the lesson there was that you didn't necessarily need to become better. You needed to become better at marketing because if you've got a blueprint for a 12-story building, but your customers are struggling from getting from the third floor to the fourth floor, everything you know above floor four is kind of irrelevant at that point. And so that's where I've always kind of struggled with that. And I, again, I don't know. It, it, it probably is safest to focus on having a gifted product. I've heard that as copywriting, um, a gifted product beats gifted pro- uh, copy hands down, right? Um, yeah. And that's actually something Brian Kurtz, who was the VP at Boardroom Reports, said that yep. often sometimes copywriters would come back and they would make improvements on the product based on the research the copywriters have found. So I don't know if I just made a conclusive statement or not, but what do you think about that? No, dude, I don't think that there's like, I think the problem with it and the thing like why, why you're feeling, I mean, there's not an answer. I don't think that there's a definitive, you know, if I were to be like, Hey, teach me the one thing that I need to do to build a seven figure company in the next 12 months. Um, that'd be a very difficult question. It's like, okay, well, what do you even focus on? There are so many different layers and so many things that you need so i think it's 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 almost like um you only have 24 hours in a day and if you're if you're wanting to build the next like take disney for example it's like you've got a company that has an incredible incredible you know product and and the things that they do for i mean they have fans for life right Mm -hmm. i think i was reading um the book, I can't remember, it's Making Magic Happen, which is about Disney's operations and, and their marketing and stuff. And they have like a 80% of people who ever go to Disney come back. Wow. So high. That's really high. But the marketing and everything is built right into the product. It's built right into the experience so that people feel like they feel like they become a different person when they go to Disney. Uh-huh. And in much the same way, my clients hire me not just because I make them money but they are also buying the feeling that they get from working with me. Uh-huh. In other words, like how do how do I make my clients feel and they feel more successful by having me around? And I think that they're buying that. That's part of the product. And so part of the marketing, you can build right into the experience. But then part of the marketing is is you know making sure that new people are being brought in every day. I don't think that there's a number one like do this and you're going to become the market leader. I think it's like figuring out ways to build systems and to make sure that it, everything's at least being managed um, to be to be growing every single day. It's a slight edge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And if you can't manage it, you can't improve it or grow correct. it. So um, right. I think you're right. I think it's a bit of a it's, – it's an ebb and flow in that because the business graveyard is littered with world-class products and services. And so that knowing that and having seen friends of mine that had phenomenal products, that's when, when you were saying that, you know, so-and-so is not a dentist, right? They're a marketer that's responsible for making sure people know that they, right, that they can, that they do dentist work. So that's why I'm like, right. you know, it's kind of, I think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's an ebb and a flow thing. So 
Um, so have you had like, has this ever come across? Like when you first start working with a client, have there been any really big obstacles or challenges that you feel like you've come through? Because I know myself, when you step on other people's businesses, you know, some people go a long way, uh, in spite of doing a lot of the wrong things. So are you like, have there been hard lessons that you've had to learn in your career? And I mean, we're talking about the product versus the marketing versus the operations. Like, have you had any big challenges in any category working with clients? And if so, you know, how did you work through it as a copywriter? Yeah, as a as a copywriter and like consulting and stuff, there have definitely been challenges and new experiences and learning new things. I think probably one of the most common is um, when you when someone has a goal in their business and uh, you know understanding like that clarity of what needs to change to produce the results that you're after. So, I'll give you an example. Like I've been working with this one client for about six months. And, um, when we first started working together, you know, his, his, basically his goal was he wanted to triple his revenue, which is great, but he had maxed out his, his product and his target, um, his target audience didn't really have money. And so what we've had to do over the past six months is rework his target audience and kind of rework the product because it's not just the copy. It's Brian is completely hundred percent. Correct. The copy is like 20%, huh. literally probably 40% is the audience or the list. And then like another probably 30% is the offer or the product. And then that last 30% or 20% is the copy. So the copy is like, is playing a small role. Most of it is who are you trying to serve and uh, what do they want? You know? Uh So that's the biggest disconnect is, is when people are like, okay, I want you to write the sales letter. I want you to do, I want you to build this funnel in Infusionsoft and I want it to make, you know, 80 grand a month, uh, the first month. It's like, that's probably not possible. If everything's set up perfectly and, you know, you're serving an affluent audience and you have a high ticket product and these guys know, like, and trust you, then yeah, we can just bang out a few emails and, and make that happen. But the biggest disconnect is like, look, you have to really be careful about the audience that you're serving and making sure that you're setting your product up and you're setting everything up so that you can serve them in a high ticket capacity. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Um, my only question is then how do you know if you've got the right audience or not? Cause that's, you, you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's so many business owners that they don't even know who they think they know, but they have no idea who their real customers are. Like they have no clue. You know, they yeah. think they know, but it's they they built their business for themselves and they don't even realize who actually frequents their business. So how do you go about selecting an audience and doing the research and all that stuff? Yeah. So re- one of the most uh, common funnels that my team has kind of been building lately is uh, Ryan Levesque's survey funnel, which I don't know if you've heard of the survey funnel stuff. Yeah. Ryan's been on our show. So I know, I know Ryan's stuff pretty well. Dude, his... Um, his methodology for tapping into an audience, figuring out, you know, what makes them tick, what makes them buy and what just pisses the crap out of them. Um, that's been my favorite, my favorite tool, especially recently for really digging into an audience. Cause basically what, what the premise of it is people don't necessarily know what they want, but they know what they don't want. Uh-huh. And if you can get them to answer you know, and self-select basically, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. Then you're left with a really good idea of 
what you could create for them, what product you can make for them, and they're telling you what they'll buy. Uh-huh. And then if you do it right, you know, if you do everything correctly, then uh, it's very powerful to build these correlations. So, for instance, we just built a survey funnel for um, a guy in the service niche. He runs, uh, he runs services for a lot of – I guarantee you would know his name. Um, but basically, we built this survey funnel and asked people basically what they hate, what, what they don't like. But then we also asked them, you know, what is your income? What, is, what do you do for a living? And what are your goals? And we were able to correlate to create like three or four different avatars. So, for instance, we've got consultants who are making 250K a year. Um, they have three kids. And they are early, early morning people and they hate not being able to, you know, target their leads. So they're spending too much time on the phone with people who don't have money. That's their biggest struggle. And then we were able to find, you know, these are product owners. Most of them make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. And their biggest problem is conversion. So they're getting leads, but they can't get them to buy. So out of those two audiences, who do you think we're going to go after? Right. You're going to go after the people that have more money and are more up to buy. Absolutely. And their problem is something that they have not only the desperation to solve, but they have the the means to be able to pay someone to fix it for them. So a lot of the marketing was built specifically to target those consultants and to kind of tell the product owners, say, hey, look, this isn't necessarily for you. Go over here. You can buy this other product. And we were able to build you know, a product offering that upsold into a higher level mastermind and it's doing pretty well but we were able to do that because we really dissected his audience and you can even run paid traffic to these to these you know they ryan calls them deep dives um and and it's perfect for that kind of thing Mm -hmm. got it now is that off the front end survey because ryan's a protege of glenn livingston and glenn livingston's named claim to fame was he was a survey he wasn't a survey funnel but he was a survey guy he entered 17 different niches profitably all based off of his survey research which he was already doing for fortune 500 companies ryan's done that and i think he's added two or three more surveys to it and he's created kind of instead of the front end it's been the funnel um but the premise was to always do it with paid traffic because it's the purest source you can put it turn it on and off. It's the most scalable. Otherwise, you're you're kind of stuck with you know peaks and valleys, feast and famine, depending on an affiliate calendar schedule, or just waiting for word of mouth or for PR, right? Because those are all things that are kind of you know moving targets, and it's hard to really like know. I want to get 300 leads and just be able to map out. You know, it's I'm willing to spend this much money to get this many people. So you don't always use paid traffic for it, or. No, not all the time. So in this case, he had a list of uh, like 8,000 people. And so we just ran surveys to them. And he monetized that and didn't pay anything in paid traffic. Um, But paid traffic works well. And another thing that works well is if someone else has the list and the type of person that you would like to make a product for, then, you know, like for me, like I'm not going to build a product for Facebook ads. Right. You know, so I don't I don't know anything about that. It's not my thing. I'm never going to learn that. But if someone has a list of people who they've been running Facebook traffic to, well, chances are they need funnels uh-huh. because that's the whole back end, right? So I can say, "Hey, look, I'll pay you to be able to to run a survey to your list so I can figure out what these type of guys really want, what they don't want, so I can actually build my product offerings from that." And that's another option. Got it. 
Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, that's 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 basically helping build your back end. That's still a different type of strategic alliance. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is super smart because, I mean, if you, there's already the name and the list, you know what they're into. I mean, that person could feed you leads for the rest of your life as long as their business, you know, is up and running. So that's a really good strategy um, to establish as many of those kinds of partnerships as you can. I like what you said, though, about not trying to be an expert at something you're not an expert in and sticking to your strengths and then just surrounding yourself with people, you know, almost creating your own syndicate, your own boys network type thing where you guys can feed each other, you know, leads or referrals or whatever and just help that because it just helps provide sustainability, right? Diversity is stability, especially in business and when it comes to lead generation. So, yeah. um, can you help talk about some of these million-dollar campaigns and that that you've done or and that you help generate your clients? You say it's mostly like you do a lot of the survey funnel up front. What other kind of stuff do you find is working really well for your clients? Um, yeah, so definitely my best client to date was uh, with real estate. And the reason why is because their audience mm. is so affluent. So you make one sale or you get one sale. Um, and there's several hundred thousands of dollars from that person. Right. So when I was doing the marketing for, uh, Memphis invest and, and some of the, you know, the newsletter marketing and things like that, they didn't even use Infusionsoft. They used HubSpot. And I was just cutting my teeth on, on learning how to write copy and converting things. So driving appointments to sales teams, things like that. Um, that was really successful. Um, since then, um, being in the you know small business space, the survey funnels that I've built have been very successful. Um, webinar funnels, so automated webinar funnels. Hmm. Webinars are like, dude, literally like crack cocaine for marketing. <laughs> they just they just don't ever stop working. Um, if you have a good webinar and you can put it into a good funnel. N- the audience is so engaged and they're so into what you're doing that you're going to see some success from that. Um, so, you know, one of the campaigns that we built out, this was in April. Um, since then it's made about $150,000. Um, and it's on an online education product. Um, and then we actually flipped it. We changed a couple of funnels together, added some more revenue. Cause all these things really, the goal at the end of the day is for them to monetize, right? right? So if someone comes through, this is why knowing your audience is so important. If they come through a webinar funnel and they don't buy, what's the best thing to do for that funnel? Bolt the survey funnel onto the back of that webinar funnel because that survey funnel is going to tell you this person didn't buy for this reason and here's what they need instead. And it's going to do it all on the back end while you're you know, at the beach playing golf, whatever. Right. Um, and basically what you're doing is you're making a system – that's reading people's behavior. It's telling you know. It's telling you why they're not buying, and then it's automatically pairing up with the next best thing. That's what. So the the webinar funnel, the survey funnel, um, you know, a couple case study funnels that have done pretty well. The biggest thing though is it really depends on what you're trying to do and who your audience is. You know, so if you're serving, if you're in the health niche and you're serving supplements, it might not be the best thing to go right away and do an auto webinar funnel. Uh-huh. Probably what the best thing to do would be to rig up a survey funnel 
And, you know, because what you can do is you can basically say when someone comes to your site, it's like, are you a male or a woman? I'm a man. Um, what do you struggle with the most? And then based upon their answers, you know, by the time you get to the end of the day, Daryl, if you're going through this, my copy would basically say, okay, listen, for, you know, if you're between the ages of 30, 35, and you're a male, and you make X amount of money, and you do CrossFit on a daily basis, and your biggest struggle is, I'm reading your mail, like, right back to you. Right. And telling you, this is what you need right now. So it's something I call hyper-relevancy. So everybody's talking about, you know, your copy has to be relevant and everything. But when you have these funnels set up correctly, you have what is called hyper-relevancy to where your copy doesn't even have to be that good anymore. People feel like you're speaking so directly to them that they trust you mm-hmm. and they're going to take action on it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's super powerful. And I, so I want to bring this up because I think we're hitting on some really important things because in a lot of ways, there's not a lot of new stuff under the sun. And I think a lot of people get lost when they're trying to develop their education because they see shiny objects and people sell them tactics as if this is, you know, it's, 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 it's alchemy. It's turning money into, you know, go, or you know, uh, coal yeah. into gold or whatever, right? Silver into gold yeah. or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think I think in some ways you kind of hit the nail on the head. A lot of it's about, you know, getting – first of all, it's getting regular consistent traffic of a certain type, figuring out those people and what they do and don't want, and then giving them what they've asked for. And you mentioned something about webinars and how they work like gangbusters and crack. I want to I want to mention something here because this is something that – um, was really helpful for me and especially um, for our listeners. It might be helpful for them. And I actually got uh, – I remember after I said it, I turned around. Joe Polish was in the in the room. Joe Polish and Ken McCarthy and it's just people that I look up to. And I remember after I said it, I turned around and their, the, the expression on their faces was just perfect. I just loved it. But the whole thing and the reason why webinars work so well is because nothing will convert as well as that face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap sales conversation. Hey, you know, hey, Taylor, what's going on in your life? How's your, you know, how's your wife? How's your, right? Like those conversations. Right. going to convert as well as that. But then everything else is just a beta version. So a webinar, a live webinar is a beta version of that face-to-face, right, presentation. Mm. And then a teleseminar is a beta version of the webinar. And a sales letter, you know, or video sales letter is a beta version of the teleseminar. And the right. sales letter is a beta version of the VSL. So it's almost like, you know, your sales letter will convert at one point. And even uh, Ryan Dice and them, when I was in their, in their mastermind group, <clears throat> one of the things that they said is once they get a sales letter that's converting really well, they turn it into a video sales letter to see if that will give them another bump. And right. I think that that's almost the strategy that you can go. You, it's so easy online to just, you know, to put together a sales letter and throw some paid traffic at it. If you can get yeah. something that's converting, then start trying try to climb back up that ladder to get as personal as you can. Because the number one problem in almost well, I won't say the number one, but a really strong problem in almost every organization is scaling sales. Especially if you're dedicated to a like a live sales force because everyone's got a different background, different ethnicity, potentially age, right? Different right. physical appearance, different personality, and you're trying to scale your sales through this force. These people and train them on how you do it, but with something like a webinar or a sales letter or a video sales letter or a teleseminar, now you've got this canned, cloned sales process that you can put people through. And exactly, I love what you said about following up with people afterwards to with like a survey funnel to figure out why it is or isn't working. Um, I think that that's brilliant. And I, I don't know if people caught that 
Um, but this is definitely something they may want to go back and take notes on because this is this is it's beautiful. I mean, even what you're talking about with how you use the survey results. I mean, that's that's another thing that a lot of um, that's a lot a big misnomer. A lot of people think a copywriter is just some like magician. He sits down and you know just gold comes out of his pen as he writes these <laughs> words that convince people. No, it's 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 an assembly process. And so I loved how you mentioned that you know you take all the results and answers and that you put that into the sales like you know what I mean like you're it's almost like a like a magazine ransom note like you're copying and pasting letters from the magazines that and it's all from all the data that you've collected on what you want and what's working and what competitors are doing and and all that so that's that's beautiful man that's really 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 awesome yeah like what you'll find is there are usually three or four different types of people buying your stuff even in a sales conversation right like right main big categories there are like three or four types of people and what do you do in a sales call you know, you ask them questions about themselves. You got to figure out who the person is so you can sell them. Mm-hmm. So scaling sales is difficult, but when you have Infusionsoft or a tool like Infusionsoft, it just becomes a matter of looking at the whole thing pretty granularly and replicating a sales conversation. So for instance, like if you go to one of my funnels, it's very open on the front end. Like, I don't know if I can help you. I don't know who you are and, you know, check out this free training, whatever. As opposed to, you know, a lot of a lot of sales letters, they're very they're very tight, very specific, very targeted, and very repellent towards the wrong person, right? Well, that's good, but that's because it's a it's a it's at a different phase in the funnel. So it's important to know like the copy at the beginning of your funnel should be totally different than the copy at the end of your funnel. And at the beginning of the funnel, you're not repelling people because quite frankly, like you have to figure out who the person is before you can become relevant to them. Right. But as you get deeper into the funnel, the more that I learn about you, or rather the more that my system learns about you, you'll notice the more repellent things get. And the more tuned you get, and it splinters off into three or four different types of sequences based on you know, what you've told me about yourself. Right. Because I cannot write a sales letter that really speaks to you until you've told me who you are and what you don't like and what you do like. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Oh, I totally, totally, totally get that. So... Um, so, okay. So any tips for people that are like, okay, so that are want to get better acquainted with their audience? I mean, we talked about the survey. That's, that's very useful. Any other tips that you can give for someone that's trying to really focus and zone in on what that, what their key market is? Yeah. Pick up the phone and call them, Mm. ask them. Um, you, you can't necessarily beat hearing someone on the phone and how they describe a problem. You've heard it. Yeah, there's a quote. I don't know who it's. It, it may be. Uh, it may be Robert Collier that said this. Is, but entering the conversation in the prospect's head. That was Robert Collier. Yeah. 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 You can't do that if you haven't first heard them in conversation. So, it, you can't beat it with email. You can't beat it with anything. A survey is not going to even do that for you. Hearing them on the phone, and hearing them say, you know, um, I have to get in shape because I don't want my children to grow up and not take me seriously because I can't even take care of my own body. And well, that's gold right there because you're, you're in their heads at this point and you can then replicate that conversation in your copy. So yeah, dude, even in survey funnels, it's like, Hey, if you wouldn't mind, if you, I I like asking questions on the phone sometimes, if you're cool with that, pop in your phone number and dude, I'll call them and I'll have my guys call them and we'll figure out kind of what, what the language patterns and kind of how people describe things. So that's a that's huge. 
Mm-hmm. Right there. That is huge. That's really, really huge. And then what about offers? What about offers? How do you how do you how do you craft a really compelling offer? I see it all the time. People are come in and get a ten percent discount, and I'm just like, that's the worst offer ever. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it shouldn't even be on there. You should use the. <laughs> or today it's like uh, free consultations, things like that. It's like, yeah. no, I don't want anything for free. <laughs> yeah. So, how do you do? You have a process you go through with your clients and helping craft an offer, or to make sure the offer can be as compelling as possible, or yeah, I think – well, obviously the product has to be good. So I think offer and product, I see those as two different things. Um, the product is like, you know, it's CDs and personal consultation with me and, you know, whatever. And then you've got the benefits. So the benefits is kind of what you use in your copy and you, you write those from the features. But the offer to me, the offer is 75% framing. Mm. It's a lot about the frame. So the best example I can give you is actually my wife because her letters that go out, the, what we've done with her entire business is we've taken it from haircuts to exclusive private invitations <laughs> to come and get you know beauty audits and, hair, and people like read this copy and it's like the framing is such that they want to come get a haircut. It's not about a haircut anymore. It's about what that what the offer makes them feel like. It makes them feel rich. It makes them feel exclusive, private. It makes them feel like nobody else is getting what they're getting. And to me, the offer is about figuring out a way to make whatever your product is, because there's probably a million of them out there. It's about making that look and feel and come across to the prospect like, you know, the most exclusive, amazing, high level thing you've ever, you know, they've ever seen. Mm. Um, So what, what I usually do is like, Obviously, it's about the audience. So if you don't have a very affluent audience and you use a lot of like, this is exclusive private invitation, that may be a little repellent. But at the same time, everybody, and I mean everybody, poor people, rich people, from wherever they are, they want to feel like they have access to something that you know their buddy down the street doesn't have access to. Mm-hmm. So I always try to make it sound like you've been personally chosen, mm-hmm. and this is a private invitation for you to get X, Y, or Z because that makes them feel, and they, they don't even notice it. Like it, it's subconscious, but it makes them feel like, you know, they, they're getting something that nobody else is getting, which is a powerful, powerful trigger. Dan Kennedy calls it, uh, exclusivity. So mm-hmm. being exclusive and it's just a trigger that makes people feel like it's an opportunity. So the product can be anything, you know, the product doesn't have to be, you know, mm-hmm. anything, any special, but framing it up is what makes the offer you know, punch. Yeah. And you can also, I mean, pre-framing is also just helping people look at things differently. And it's not, it, some people can't, like it is a form of manipulation because you're trying to manipulate the way they, they see the world. But I think it's really important. There's a, a what, this story, I got this from a Nightingale Conan program a long time ago, but it was like the world's, you know, one of the earliest productivity managers was hired by a pharaoh to help, you know, push along the, the building of the pyramid. And he was going and interviewing some of the workers. And the first worker he stopped, he was like, what are you doing? And the guy was like, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm slaving away under the sun? And the second guy I talked to, the guy was like, you know, why are you bothering me? Can't you see I'm trying to move this big rock? And the third guy he went to talk to, he was like, hey, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm building a legacy? 
you know, and it was like, I, I, I totally shortened the story, but it was like every worker kind of, you could just see from their body and their frame, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference. And the guy who saw the vision of the legacy of he was building, he seemed the healthiest, happiest, and the most effective and efficient at his work. And all that is, is just a change in perspective as to what you're doing. So I think that yeah. that's a really powerful thing because pre-proper pre-framing can help motivate people to buy the product because you know, it should solve a problem for them. And if you can motivate them even more, they, you know, as long as they're in the right direction, right? Jim Rohn's got a quote, you know, if you have an idiot and he's heading in the wrong direction, he doesn't need motivation because now all you have is a motivated idiot. What he he needs is an education to turn him around and get him going in the right direction. So I think when you talk about the pre-framing and making exclusive and that, these are all things that are really necessary to help people feel comfortable taking that step because buying is a, you know, is a scary thing to do. Um, but I love how you said that because, right, the product is the product, but then if you can package it and pre-frame it and present it in a way that makes it look like it's giving them the best chance of success possible um, and the longest-term benefit, I think you're right. I think that's a really powerful way to finish with your offers. Taylor, yeah. you've, you've given some great content in this, and I, I strongly encourage people to maybe listen to this again and take some notes because we've covered some really important stuff. Um, what are you working on right now, bud? What are you excited about? What's got you jazz in your business? Man, I'm excited about everything, dude. There's so much, uh, so much going on right now. I've got obviously, I'm working with a couple clients. The biggest thing right now is a buddy of mine and I are building uh, a bit of an agency flow. So um, we're starting to scale that, and he is a very high level uh, Facebook and AdWords paid traffic strategist. Hmm. So basically what ended up happening is like all my clients need traffic and all his clients need, you know, funnels. So we just shared clients back and forth for like six months. And I was like, Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we build, you know, build a little bit of an agency flow here, um, hire a bit of teams and, and see if we can really provide more of a premium package. So we're doing that right now. And, uh, that's coming along. And then I'm kind of in the process of rebranding my own stuff. So uh-huh. I've been under the, uh, the brand of just Taylor Welch. Uh-huh. Um, but the more I get dialed into my audience and the more I get dialed into like, you know, my, my perfect clients, they're all Infusionsoft users and none of them like writing copy. So I'm kind of rebranding my stuff into uh, a brand. Uh, it's called copy fusion. So I'm putting kind of all my stuff under there. So I'm switching everything over. So there's a lot going on right now. Probably the most exciting thing is, is, uh, the thing with my buddy, which is we're calling it traffic and funnels. So we just paid for the LLC, getting that up off the grounds. Um, it's like traffic and conversion, but better. Uh-huh. Take that Ryan Dice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, man, we're just floating that dude. There's a lot of grind that goes into starting anything new. So yeah. I'm in those long hour days right now, but loving it, drinking that coffee, hitting the gym, you know. Good, good, good. And how does anyone reach you? If anyone listened to this and they're like, man, Taylor's got some good stuff. I'd love to contact him and ask him some questions or maybe even have him take a look at what I've got going on. What's the best way to reach out and touch and, and get in touch with you? Yeah, the best thing to do is just hop on. Uh, you can hop on my list and you're going to get some emails from me and just hit reply to those emails. So if you go to uh, if you go to copy-fusion.com, um, you can grab some free training there. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. You're going to get my uh, marketing letter. So I send a daily email marketing newsletter mm-hmm. um, all to my subscribers and got a couple a couple big names on that and they all love it. And, and it's just basically giving my tests of stuff that's working, stuff that's not working um, every single day. So if you hop over to that site, hop onto my list, you can just hit reply 
and uh, that comes straight to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So once again, the web URL was copy, C-O-P-Y dash fusion, F-U-S-I-O-N.com. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Taylor, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you sharing some of your insights into what you've done to be successful, um, what's working for your clients, and just really kind of fleshing out some really, like, really important things that I think for a lot of people listening to this call uh, will be very, very valuable to them. So thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate your patience and appreciate you coming on here to share with us. And just thank you. And, man, all the best. Thank you, bro. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you. Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. And your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, you're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.